Well, a trio of welcomes. Welcome to you here. I'm so glad we get to share the teaching time together. Welcome to those of you connected here online. We are thrilled you're in this moment. A welcome back to those of you who went on the Guatemala mission trip. Uh, you built homes and you did medical clinics. Can we just give them a resounding huzzah? And where to go? I think they're sprinkled throughout us. This is exciting to have you back. Uh, we're in a series that begins during the season of Lent. Walk Walking through the Gospel of Mark, we're entitling it Relentless Mosaic. The Gospel of Mark most likely is through the eyes and the stories of Peter as he relayed them to his aide and associate, John Mark, who then put them down for the church to have throughout all of history. Now, Peter is an interesting individual, and he was a little, you know, here and there, and a little bit everywhere, and his call from Jesus was, come and follow me, and instead of you fishing for fish, which is your business right now, you're going to fish for people. And then, a little later on, in regards to water, he'd go water walking, and he'd walk on water towards Jesus. And then there's, there's a variety of moments, and one of those moments that Peter has, I will, I will never disown you. In fact, there, there's a time that Jesus had said, who do people say that I am? And, he, and some say this person and that person. And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you got it. And, and only from the Spirit of God would this be given to you. Peter is an amazing individual. And when it comes to Jesus' trial on, b- before that he would take to the cross the next day, he's warming himself. He's trying to stay close to Jesus. He's in Pilate's courtyard. And aren't you one of his disciples? I don't even know the man. Three times he repeats that and he cusses on the last time with an oath and, and uh, he walks out in disgrace. Jesus will come back to him after the resurrection is happened and he'll come to him while Peter says, I'm going to go fishing again. I'm going to go back to that business. And Jesus comes on the shore and he recognizes that it's Jesus and he commences, he swims towards him. Jesus has recreated the whole denial scene. He's built the same kind of fire. He's cooking some fish. He takes him out for a walk and three times he asks him, do you love me? And he affirmed his love for him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And when, when the Holy, when I forgot, he ran to the tomb as well. Oh my goodness gracious. Peter runs to the tomb, verifies as the eyewitness to touch the grave clothes that Jesus has left. He's there on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes, and he is the one who speaks on behalf of all the disciples, and thousands upon thousands of people put their trust in Christ as the Son of God and are baptized. He's remarkable. Now, what's happening here is you get a lot of stray thoughts that are put together. It's a quick hitting gospel. A few years ago, I saw the musical Charlie Brown. I like Charlie Brown. I like the Peanuts gang. And they're, how are they going to do a musical? How do you do a story out of Charlie Brown? Well, it was like these little cartoon vignettes. You just saw a little, whoop, little snippet here and then another little snippet, and then another little snippet. The gospel of Mark is like that. And and like the musical Charlie Brown, you see these themes, though, that begin to run through again and again and again. Mark has some utterly profound themes. The theme that we're going to look at today is authority issues and how that plays out in our life. From Mark chapter 2, the word of the Lord. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him 
to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, tell you what, let's read this one together. This is good for us to do together. Let's read this verse together. Here we go. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Lord God, that is your word. And these are your people. And may your word and your people intersect in such a way today that our lives will never be the same, nor will the lives of those who ours touch because of your favor and blessing. In your name, amen. There's five authority issue realities that we're going to note that I think are going to really mean something to you. The first is this. Faith moves the heart of God. Imagine that little think tank session. It says that these four individuals who had a friend that they were bringing to Jesus couldn't get through. For all they were worth, for all the, the bullying and the buffness and whatever they had, they couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't bribe or bully their way through that crowd. They couldn't do it. Make a hole. Nobody made a hole. That didn't happen. And they get back together again, and, and it's like, well, maybe we can uh, kind of, you know, we tried this and we tried that. Maybe we can shimmy through. Maybe we can go around them. But the thing they land on, what they land on is, let's go over them. That's what we're going to do. And they walk up. They get on top of the roof. And most likely the roof would have had straw on top. It would have had a couple good feet of dirt, mud kind of stuff, and some long uh, wooden poles for rebar that was there. And they would have to dig their way through that. They were highly motivated. They were incredibly creative. They were very sacrificial. Uh, to, they were persistent to get this done. In fact, the, the wording for uh, they, they made a hole in the roof is they unroofed the roof is what they did. They're not testing God. This is not, sometimes it says, don't put the Lord your God. This isn't testing God. This is trusting God. If I get my friend to Jesus, Jesus is going to do something wonderful. And when he saw their faith, when he saw the faith, uh, it's, it's plural of the individual who comes down on the mat in the middle of everything. Hey, everybody, how you doing there? Good to see you. Glad to be here. You know, uh, pardon, pardon the interruption. And then sees the four dirty, sweaty, anticipatory faces of the buddies that are looking down in the hall to see what in the world is Jesus going to do with this situation that we just created. And when he saw their faith, it moved his heart. When God sees your faith, child of God, when God sees your faith, it will move the heart of God. Two questions. One is, when was the last time that God saw your faith? In fact, sometimes it's good to say this to our neighbor, but this is just one we just need to, I think we need to ask this of ourselves. How about we just say that out loud? Would you say that out loud? When was the last time God saw my faith? Here we go. When was the last time God saw my faith? Hmm. What roof do you need to unroof? And let's, let's get a little self-centered on that one and say, what roof do I need to unroof? Let's say that. Here we go. What roof do I need to unroof? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what it says in Hebrews 11.6. And in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this about faith, that faith is being confident of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And Jesus will say in regards to faith that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, which is a really, really, really small seed, we can say to this mountain, get up, 
and throw yourself into the sea if it is in your way. And by the way, the mustard seed might be small, but the mustard plant is quite large. You have been given a shield of faith that you are to pick up every day. And the shield of faith, the word of God says, will extinguish the fiery darts that the enemy, the very devil of hell, Satan and his cohorts, the demons are coming at you and are targeting you to take you, to wound you, to hurt you, to discourage you, to have your life devoid of the very favor and blessing of God. And the shield of faith will extinguish every one of those darts. Faith, my friends, moves the heart of God. And it was a childlike faith that it took to unroof the roof. I love it when preachers preach on this. I love to learn what they say. And, and for years and years and years and years, I think all preachers use this similar illustration. It's a good one. There's, there's, there's been swimming holes and swimming ponds for as long as humans have been around. And when we talk about faith like a child, it's like the child at the pool or at the bank of the river where come on by the lake come on in jump on in mom dad grandma grandma we're gonna catch you whoo isn't that fun come on back a little buddy whoo we're gonna catch you and just that childlike leap of faith i think that's applicable but think about some other things i began to ponder the things that happen in my life as my kids have gotten a little bit older and when their faith has uh moved my heart when I have enacted, when they have put their faith in trust. And so you can think how it goes down in your home. Now, for my home, it's looked a little bit like this. Hey, um, we invited our friends to come over. All right, they, 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 here they come, you know. The pizzas start happening. The ice cream Sunday start happening because they have already, by their faith, made that. Hey, uh, we, I, I, I told everybody it was okay if we could have homecoming dinner at my, our house. Uh, mom's making lasagna. You good with that? That's faith moving the heart of the parents. My wife, Terry, she's good at sewing. So not only does she sew up shirts and britches and whatever needs to be done in our home, but our kids have gotten a hold of this. Yeah, bring that dress over. Bring those baseball pants over. Bring them. My mom will do it. My much. They just, they just ask a told her all the time to go fix in people's clothing articles. I don't know if I told you that, but she's good at sewing stuff. If you need, I'm sure she's got a servant's heart, can step up for you if, if you need that. Uh, faith can move the heart in that way. Terry's dad, my father-in-law Dave, is an excellent carpenter. And we will go, hey, uh, Terry will just say, my dad will build that. He'll make the cabinet. He'll make the cupboard. He'll make the table. He'll fix the chair. He'll do in the life of our church family, the shimmering star we see at Christmas time. Grandpa Dave built that. Uh, the, the 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 manger. Grandpa Dave built that. The shepherd staff that sometimes turn into shepherd swords. <laughs> uh, Grandpa Dave built those. The jingling Johnny that Pastor Josh will bang around looks like a looks like a banjo and a and a, and a little tin pan thing. Uh, Grandpa Dave built the first rendition of that because he was asked told with childlike faith. Oh, he can do that. Sure, sure. So many times we are way too careful with God. We display a huge lack of confidence in God's goodness and God's power. What about you? What roof do you need to unroof? And when do you need to say, I can't, but my God can? And you leap and jump into his arms. 
You invite God to host. You say, my God can build it. My God can fix it. Because faith is going to move the heart of your God. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We're going to get back to this cast of characters here. Just kind of put them on hold. We're going to get to them in a little bit. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Authority issue reality number two is this. Jesus has authority over the wholeness of life. Our lives are so incredibly connected. But Jesus is going to deal with the friends are putting him down to t- with, with a physical issue in mind. But Jesus says, hey, I can do the physical thing. I, I, I can do that. But, but I want to deal with his spirit life first. I want to deal with the eternal stuff first. And then once I deal with the eternal stuff, the spirit life, I can deal with the physical life as well. Um, Jesus is the great physician. He's concerned with the wholeness of your life. Um, God's real healing. You do know this, that any kind of physical healing is only just a temporary healing because eventually things aren't going to be healed, that we are going to dust to dust. We're made of the dirt of the ground. We're made of the breath of God. And the dust stuff is eventually going to give way. And then we get to have God's ultimate real healing. And there's a foreshadowing this in the resurrection of Jesus. And it says that you yourselves will be raised as Christ is raised. We can compare notes later, but I'm on two physical therapy regimens uh, right now, uh, which means I do lots of stretching and it looks really wimpy when I go to the workout place because I can't lift lots of weights. Chip, who's working the camera, uh, came in while I was at Snap the other day and he walks in and he said, hey, I had to come say hi to see who that big hairy guy was stretching around back here. It's my pastor. And I had these one pound weights in my hand going, and I go, hey, Chip, caught me doing the real physical therapy. Um, Sometimes God will heal us instantaneously. Sometimes God may heal us gradually. I was reading a book by Max Lucado entitled Before Amen. It's about prayer. Max Lucado, at least he's written scads of books. At this time, he noted it was his 30th book. And he was talking about healing in this chapter. He writes his books by longhand on a legal pad, several drafts, several edits. And now that he's on his 30th book writing it by longhand, well, his hand just doesn't work so well because he's used it and used it and used it and used it. And he noted as he has prayed and begged God for healing of his hand that God has not healed his hand, but God has healed his heart while he's been praying and anticipating for God to heal his hand. Friends, sometimes God just needs to do spirit life stuff in our midst. And God will then allow the physical stuff to breathe life into the physical stuff. Well, we talk about physical life. We talk about spiritual life. I'm going to go someplace. It's the season of Lent right now. Our Catholic buddies, our Lutheran buddies, our Anglican buddies tend to take Lent real serious in the side. If you got one of those kind of buddies, they're going to go, it's Lent. I'm not eating chocolate anymore. I'm not eating red meat anymore. I'm not drinking that kind of drink anymore. 
What are you doing for Lent? And, and some of us who, who aren't as historic in the life of the church, we might go, blah, 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 I don't, I didn't know, what, what do you do? That? Like, here's why they do that. Because they understand that my physical life is incredibly connected to my spirit life. And so physically, if I set something aside for a period of time, that God can do something in my spirit that if, when I make space that way, that God could never do otherwise. And I want to make space for God. Let me talk about another kind of life, if I may. If I challenge us to think of our social media life at Lent time, that maybe in that area, in that capacity, we might want to consider setting special time aside. Here's some, here's some baby step actions that you might want to consider for social media life. That you might set an alarm on your phone just as a reminder to go, oh, hey, um, it's my, my little prayer time. I'm going to give God thanks we give God praise. There's something on my heart. My alarm went off. Or we can go to our settings and restrict the usage of time that we have. Uh, we could, while you're waiting for your coffee to brew, while you're waiting for your toast to toast, don't just simply scroll through and look at your feeds and notifications. Don't do that. Hey, um, I'm going to talk to somebody in the house. Hey, well, what are you looking forward to today? Well, how can I pray for you today? What's that? Hey, here's what's, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm looking for. You actually talk to someone and uh, set the phone aside. Uh, you can turn off notifications. Uh, don't raise your hands on this one, but maybe some of you don't want to bring your phone into the bathroom. Uh, anymore during Lent time. Uh, maybe you don't need to bring it into the bedroom. Maybe you don't need to bring it to the supper table and you set it aside. Uh, here's some not messing around steps, but you could go on a vow of silence on social media for a period of time. You can go dark. Uh, maybe you don't post your pictures over spring break and you just, instead you do a family kind of event and moment uh, together with pictures that you've taken. But know this, that God wants to work with the whole you, with your spirit life, with your physical life, with your social media life as well. And the word of God goes on to say, words of Jesus, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, there's that word, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the man, ooh, this is good. Will you, will you read this with me? Let's read this together. Here we go. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. This is good stuff. Every one of those phrases packs power. The third authority issue reality would say getting healed means getting up when Jesus says. If you're healed, then be healed. Rise up. Get up. You're feeble no longer. And once God has healed you, it's good to act like you've been healed. We live out of our healing. We don't live out of our woundedness. It does not mean you might not be a wounded healer, you're somebody who is healed. You may have wounds, but you don't live out of your woundedness. Like a, been a kid, you get the wind knocked out of you. You just can't move. I can't get oh, I think I'm okay now. It's, it's like God touches you and heals you. Then stop living out of the wounds of your past and live out of the way in which God has healed you. He says, take up your mat. Jesus didn't have to tell the guy to take up his mat. Leave that mat. Why did he tell him to take up his mat? I think it might have been because of this. You need to take hold of the thing that's taken hold of you for so long. Instead of that mat telling you where to go, you're going to tell that mat where it's going to go. I think it's a really significant kind of step for this individual as he begins to live into his new life of being healed and made whole spiritually and physically. Like you're going to take that with you. And it's part of you. 
It is part. You carry it, but it doesn't carry you anymore. There's a huge difference between the mat carrying the man or that man carrying that mat. And he now gets to carry that mat and go home. You're going to begin again to live healed and whole in very familiar places. Sometimes I think it's pretty easy for us to begin to be healed and whole in some unfamiliar places and places on the periphery of our lives where they don't know us as well. And we can kind of put, put that little facade on out there and we can say, that's okay, okay, live healed and whole there. But make sure you take it to the places where you work and where, in your home and your family, where your education, to, to that inner, take that healed, whole self right home with you and live it out there. I learned how to do hospital visitation from a man named Jerry. And Jerry was the church's visitation pastor. But before I ever learned how to do hospital visitation from him, when I was about the age of Ainsley, who gives the thanks from the middle school students to us, I heard his testimony about how God changed his life. He was the pharmacist in town. He was a pharmacist at two or three different pharmaceutical places. He was incredibly extroverted. He was the life of the party. He was the life of a lot of parties. Because one, he was incredibly personable, really quick-witted and fun and funny, and he brought some other to the party. He brought, he brought the party to the party as the pharmacist, if you know what I'm saying. He said, here, here's, 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 a, here's some party favors from the pharmacist, and he would bring those. And God got a hold of his life. And he, began, he went right back to where he was, and he was a changed man. And people began to say, if God can do that in the life of Jerry, hundreds and hundreds of people got their lives right with God because he went right back to where he was, and he lived his life a changed man. Fourth, authority issue reality We've been, we've been dancing around this group for a little while. Who is this Jesus that says he can do these things? There can be an oppositional defiance to God's authority. It happened then. It happens now. You're going to encounter and you're going to run into people who say, God can't do that. Jesus can't do that. They're going to, they're, they're, it's, it happens. It happened then. It happens now. I just want to tell you, you don't want any part of that path. You go, you love those folks. You extended them the grace of God. You extended them all kinds of kindness. Extended them love. But you don't want to be on that path. Jesus says something real interesting in the moment. He said, uh, so, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, not only to forgive sins, I'm going to tell this individual to walk. He never uses the term Messiah in their midst. 14 times, it's the first time in the Gospel of Mark, first of 14 times, that he's going to refer to himself as the Son of Man. Why does he refer to himself as the Son of Man? Because they have a misunderstood Messiah complex. If he says he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, they go, oh yeah, that means you're kicking out the Romans and you're putting me in charge and life is good for me. That means all your authority is the kind of authority that I want to have authority. And they go, no, 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 you don't. I am not a misunderstood Messiah. I'm not going to fall into those kind of things. But he uses the term son of man, which is a prophetic word that comes out of Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, there's this vision of all these uh, kingdoms that are of bronze and iron and they're just decimating and in charge 
And it's not great for the earth that these kingdoms are charged until the Son of Man comes in glory and fullness and splendor, and he brings freedom, he brings life. And he's going to that vision right there because they kept thinking that the authority of God in their life, they, they, they wanted God to make them large and in charge. And this misunderstood Messiah complex that we can have, how it goes down for us as we go, oh yeah, I want to make a God that I kind of dig and names, uh, my educational prowess, uh, my family. I'm going to, they do have, yeah, that's, that's what God's all about. God's all about that, those kind of politics and God's all about my kind of family and God's all about education. It's like, okay, all those things have authority, but they all fall under God's authority. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord and God. Every knee will bow. All these other things are just, they have authority because God has given them authority. And we not ought give them more authority than they are due. Um, so here's where this goes. Some of us are sick and tired of bowing down to gods that really aren't God. And today's the day that you want to say, oh, God, you are God and I am not. I want you, just like, just like you did for the man that was lowered down to you. See, what Jesus is saying is this, I can fix paralyzed legs, but you know what I really want to do? I really want to fix paralyzed hearts. That's what I'm about. I want to come, and those of you with authority issues who have paralyzed hearts, I want to awaken your paralyzed heart. And all you have to do is say, forgive me, I want to follow you. And you're a child of God. And so there might be, well, some here today that are saying, oh God, forgive me. I want to follow you. And you are a child of God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. Nothing separates you from the love of God. So today's your day to remind yourself of that again. Today's your day to cross that line of faith. It is a beautiful thing who God is in you. Pray that prayer. Trust God and we rejoice. And so here's what the individual does. He gets up. He takes his mat. He walks out in full view of them all. Amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And we land with that fifth authority issue reality. They praised and amazed. Um, this is where God's authority just naturally lands. So today, for any who need to say, I don't want to have a paralyzed heart anymore. I want God to awaken and alive in me. You just say, God, forgive me. I want to follow you. And I tell you what, don't you forget how wonderfully that faith moves the heart of God. I can't wait to see what kind of roofs God unroofs through you. I can't wait to see who you bring to God, what kind of projects that God has you lift and uh, give effort to. Would you stand and let's go to the Lord in prayer in this moment. Lord God Almighty, how amazing you are. We praise you and we are amazed at who you are and with all you do. Lord, in this moment and at this time, we come before you and we don't want to miss anything that your spirit is whispering to us in regards to a roof that needs to be unroofed, that we would show great trust and great confidence in you. 
Lord, we ask and pray in this moment in time with those who are saying, forgive me, I want to follow you. We are deeply honored and blessed that angels are rejoicing in heaven in this moment because there are those that are saying yes to you, Lord. We rejoice as well. And so, Lord, we walk out this day excited to have been in your midst, and we're amazed and we praised all for your glory and in your name. And all God's people would say, amen.